This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-3620. That's 800-261-3620. And here we are on Freaky Friday, sandwiched between Twerky Thursday and the Real Super Tuesday. When we have that all figured out, we'll be right on our game. Excelsior! Welcome back, partners. We are the Blaze Radio Network. I am Jay Severin. I hope you are well. I missed you. I know it's only been since last night, if you were with us, or since yesterday. But can't you feel the tug of the political laws of gravity, you know, as they draw us inexorably toward, you know, Act 3 in this civic circus maximus? Because I think Act 3 begins... I think Act 3 begins on the real Super Tuesday, which is this coming Tuesday. Now, I want to very quickly say something, uh, and, and I have to let you in on the inside operation here. So hold on. Uh, darling? Hello? Janie? Okay. Uh, I think I'm here alone. Uh, I broadcast from home. I think I'm here alone. We are expecting a uh, very important document. The FedEx is going to uh, bring it by, and it requires a signature. If indeed I'm the only person here, then it will eventuate, or may eventuate, that I will have to jump up with virtually no notice and go to the door and come back. Well, this process will take probably 30 seconds, you know, under a minute for sure. I'm only 30 feet away. Uh, and a couple doors to, to run to the, the front door. So I want you to know that so you don't think anything particularly more unusual than usual has happened. And Sebastian is going to play for you selected cuts from last night uh, last night's debate in the event that occurs. So you will know if you're hearing, you know, several cuts in a row. Uh, I mean, not too many, but you hear several cuts in a row without hearing me uh, it's not a technical difficulty, and everyone's fine, and I'll be back in, as I say, probably 30 seconds. Sorry, and also, if I'm here alone, it means I, that means the girls haven't put away the uh, smaller dogs yet, so I can't control them. Uh, so they'll all know before we do uh, if anyone's approaching the property. But there, there it is, it's taking care of that. Hey, uh, a, a point of personal privilege I mean, as if that wasn't, but a point of personal privilege as I welcome you to this Friday edition, it 
is tough to watch the Nazi Reagan service and not be moved. I mean, for some of us more than others of us, and I really don't mean by that our political standing. Uh, I, I really mean if you're an emotional person, and I am, the service opened with the battle hymn of the republic, which happened to be President Reagan's uh, favorite song. And I couldn't even get through that without weeping. I actually had to turn it down because it, it just, you know, does heck to my vocal cords and my sinuses if I if I weep, you know, before a show or during a show. But you know because you, you've heard that often enough. But I just wanted to mention that to look at this and realize that it's a funeral and it's being televised, you know, the possibilities of making something exceptionally personal into something tawdry are just enormous. And it's being done very well, unless one, you know, is offended, unless you take umbrage at the notion that a funeral is being televised. Uh, I, I don't particularly in this case. And I think the reason why is the way it's being, <clears throat> the way it's being handled. And my personal editorial is merely that the elegance and grace for which Nancy Reagan was and will always be known, and which I myself witnessed as a spectator with the rest of America, and on uh, the two occasions I had the privilege of, of meeting her. Her elegance and grace is, this, this service has really been a metaphor, as ideally it ought be for everyone, you know? I mean, we, are, we should all be so lucky that we are remembered in, in such an elegant way. But th- this, this is graceful and elegant, and it is thus perfectly fitting that it, it be for Nancy Reagan. And the lineup of guests is, is a veritable Mount Rushmore of contemporary American history. And, and even diversity. So I want to make sure here, I did, it just occurred to me, I'm looking at which came in latest, 252, 53, 253 would be the hottest. All right, let's go back to that. Um, I make notes right up till we go on the air so, and then send them to myself. So I wanted to make sure I was using the right ones. Question of the day. Can you guess? At one 888 3393. Question O the day. Did anything change? Was anything changed by the debate last night? If so, how? If so, by whom? Did last night, if you had occasion to listen or watch, what did last night mean? What will it be said that last night meant in the evolution or devolution of either this particular set of candidates and this particular election or in, you know, American political history, contemporary American history? Was last night significant? Did it do anything? 
one 3393 My own short review, and I, I plan to get into a lot of it, given what you'd like to do today. I have a lot of notes. Uh, had occasion to think about it because I got to be with uh, Doc and Skip and Ty and you last night on our special. And it was, as I as Guru Jay say, it was going to be, and I always believed it was going to be, comparatively subdued. I did not expect a replay of last Thursday's debate. And that's why I said yesterday, I think this is going to be comparatively subdued. Important, and I think it was important, but it was it was comparatively subdued. I think I think you would agree. And it that starts with the fact that if you had never before seen Donald Trump, you've never before seen Donald Trump, and the only debate you saw, or your only connection, your only contact with Donald Trump was last night, then you know a Donald Trump that no one else in America knows. Because last night Donald Trump was an entirely different, that was Trumpenstein. Baby, that was Trumpenstein last night. You know, that was Dr. Trumpenstein. I think I can make something of this. Help me. Help me sing this song. That was Dr. Trumpenstein. That was a different Donald Trump than we've ever seen. And the word for that is the same, subdued. Gentlemanly, even by turns. Almost. And you see, doesn't that mean a lot without anything else being said? Think of a debate without Donald Trump. We all know that he's the overriding gear, you know, in this engine. We all know he makes the entertainment quotient. Whatever the EQ is for the debates, it's 99% Trump, isn't it? I mean, like him, don't like him, support him, not. Trump is the entertainment quotient in the debates. And when he shows up sedated, I want to be sedated, he was, Dr. Trumpenstein was sedated last night. I, I don't mean literally. But that was his game plan, and he carried it off. It seems to me evident, self-evident, that that was the product of a strategy, yes? Don't put the ball on the ground. Don't fumble. Don't do anything to upset the apple cart, because right now the political world is unfolding, the political universe is unfolding, just as you would have it unfold, Mr. Trump. So don't, don't do anything to upset it. Now, of course, that has a cost. That has a cost. Trump being Mr. Nice Guy has a cost. Because everything always does in politics and in life. He got what he wanted, but he paid for it. How and what does it mean? You stick with me. The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.
Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-3620. That's 800-261-3620. The Jay Severin Show. And my partners on the Blaze Radio Network. Anything changed by virtue of last night's debate? I, I, I came back to say Trump decided on a radically different departure for himself. Now, anything you do in a four-man debate, anything you do in a four-person debate, if anybody changes who they are suddenly, it it immediately and necessarily, by the laws of of physics, changes everything. Not necessarily drastically, but it does change everything. I'm sure you you get that, uh, you know, instinctively. So it's, you know, it's like like if two couples four people go out or just four friends go out and one friend is exceedingly ebullient uh, or another friend is like bummed out. It changes the dynamic. Okay, well, Trump changed the dynamic last night. And it means a lot of things that I, it means some things I'm not sure I even understand or can grasp, but the things I can understand and grasp are just like the obvious ones. And it meant that it changed the tone of the debate. So the overall tone of the debate was fairly boring. What we actually got last night was the closest thing to a debate. Not It wasn't a real debate. They never will be. But we got the closest thing to a debate. I think the audience was not the fifth Beatle last night. And by the way, I, I we probably won't get to talk about it today, but uh, I grew up with the Beatles. And when it is said that Sir George Martin, their producer, was the fifth Beatle, that is the opposite of exaggeration. The Beatles would never have existed as long nor as great as they did without George Martin. George Martin was not only the, the, the one of the Beatles, he was the first Beatle. And I'd love to, exp- to, 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 to discuss with you what that means, because I know something about music and producing music and performing music and arranging music and all of that. And it's, it's really you know not as boring as I just probably made it sound. But uh, George Martin passed away at the age of 90, Sir George Martin, uh, who produced virtually everything the Beatles ever did. And... Uh, anyway, the audience was not the fifth Beatle last night or was to the lowest extent it has been thus far. And thus, what you got was the closest thing to an exchange of ideas last night. Now, what cost did Trump pay? Well, his, his benefit is fairly manifest. And that is he wanted to look... He didn't want to look like a nut last night for a change. And he didn't. He curtailed what has been either his greatest charm or his worst trait, depending on what you think of of Trump. 
and that is Trump Tourette's. That is Donald Trump's inclination to get in front of a camera and look at it for a second and say, uh, Heine, nipple, uh, uh, nuts, uh, China trade deficit. So it, 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 he has Trump's Tourette's. It, what he does is, is get in front of a camera and immediately spits out the things that uncontrollably come to his mind. Poopy, uh, wiener, pee-pee, uh, Mexican wall. And usually somewhere in the things he spits out in the seizure is is politically worthwhile. But the rest of the stuff is the equivalent of, you know, body parts. Well, last night Trump reeled that in. We'll soon know if it was a wise decision. I don't. I can't tell you at this point. I haven't seen any polling since last night because there isn't any polling since last night. So we're left with our instincts and impressions. I think he overdid it, but but he did it. And it's his decision. And we'll see, you know, as I say, we, we, will, we will soon know. Uh, meanwhile, what did, what, what did he pay for that? And again, that's probably the wrong way to put it. How did the dynamic, the overall dynamic change? Well, it changed in this way. Well, I've, I've already, I've already uh, proposed to you one way it changed was that we actually got something like an exchange of ideas. The network executives have to be, I'm sure they were ready to jump last night off the, uh, off the ledges of their windows because that, that debate, I'll, I, I'll, I'll tell you this, I'll bet that debate had pretty good ratings last night because everyone heard about last week's debate and the others. But if you, if, if I, I feel sorry for anyone who watched last night's debate and it was the first one they've seen, because unless you were after a, a, a seminar in tax law, you, you, it was boring. I mean, I, I, even I admit, I, I was pretty bored at times. And I'm sorry. I mean, I this is you know it's what I do every day. I mean, I'm listening to that stuff, listening to guys. It's, that all of a sudden became like the same junior senator sliding into third base in the 17,000 ball games I've played in, you know? And I just, it was pretty boring. So I don't know about last night's ratings, but I'll tell you what, if there's a debate next week, I'll bet you it will have the lowest ratings in 20 years. Because anybody who saw last night is not going to be eager to see another one. Now, I don't mean in the massive numbers. Because what they had been watching what had been getting the biggest ratings in the history of any kind of political broadcast was Donald Trump's Civics Circus Maximus show. The circus come to prime time. Well, last night was not much of a circus, although it was something approaching a uh, political debate. So for good or ill, that's up to you to tell me at one 3393 uh, other than that, debate-wise, I thought Rubio was wonderful. I thought that's that's the best I've ever seen Marco Rubio. It's the most articulate, uh, intelligent, assertive, without being, you know, trying to be uh, the insult dog. You know, Larry, the insult dog. Uh, I, I clearly Rubio announced in advance that he was 
regretful of having uh, turned his act into a, a nightclub, a Don Rickles act, insulting Donald Trump. And it, uh, it didn't reflect well on him, he said, and his family was embarrassed. And politically, it probably did cost him the election. And I, I hope we can have a word about that because I've gotten a few messages saying, hey, yeah, Guru Jay, big shot. You, Rubio did what you told Cruz to do, and it probably cost Rubio 20 points. So aren't you glad Ted didn't take your advice? No. I talked a little about this last night with uh, Skip and Doc and Ty. So I, I'd like to talk about that. But Rubio was masterful. Rubio, I won't say he was as good as he can be, but he's as good as he's ever been, uh, as far as I could see. And so if anybody won the election, I mean, who showed? If it was a dog show last night, if that was Westminster, who showed the best last night? I thought Rubio, by far, showed the best for Rubio. But Ted Cruz was great, too. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show. And these are my partners on the Blaze Radio Network at one 888 So what did you think of the debate? We're not going to spend the show on it unless you want to. Uh, I, did, did, did it change anything? I'm getting to that. Uh, uh, Bill Rabb wrote to me a tweet that said, so if he acts like a turd, it's bad. And if he doesn't act like a turd, it's bad. And I wanted to say, you're catching on, kid. But, but uh, Bill, what I really want to say, and which I've said to you in my uh, tweet response, is it's timing, booby. It's a matter of timing, baby. It's a matter of timing. When Trump acted, imagine if Trump had acted, behaved, sorry. Imagine if Trump had behaved, if his deportment, his comportment, his personality, his presentation... Imagine if Trump's presentation last night had been his presentation in the first and or second debate. We wouldn't be talking about Donald Trump anymore. I mean, I don't say this as a negative. I mean, this is just a fact of life. This is how babies get made kind of stuff. You know, Donald Trump gave birth to Donald Trump because he was Donald Trump. If Donald Trump had acted, sorry, behaved earlier on in the campaign as he behaved last night, he would look and sound like every other you know person on the stage, and thus he would have the poll numbers of every other person on the stage, i.e., not first. So uh, that's my answer to that. Now, I, again, I thought Rubio was masterful. I thought Ted Cruz was as as. It was far better than Rubio. I just meant that Rubio was good, as as I said. Rubio was as good as I've ever seen Rubio. But I didn't have the time to get the cruise. Ted was it's wonderful. And Ted Cruz was, after three or four of his first answers, 
You know, I turned to family members and said, N- n- that's, that's a Princeton debating champion right there. You know, that's why, you know, that's, that's a Harvard Law School guy right there. That, there's a trial attorney right there. There are brilliant attorneys who never step foot in a courtroom. Uh, people not in or of law imagine, just as when we think of doctors, we imagine them hunched over operating tables performing surgery, right? It's natural, but not all doctors do. And, of course, only a fraction of lawyers ever see the inside of a courtroom. And some will tell you that that maybe the most brilliant lawyers that have ever lived never saw the inside of a courtroom. They were judges. They were scholars. They were specialists in tax law, constitutional law. A litigator is a different animal. A litigator is a lawyer and then something else too. Okay. Donald Trump, his behavior. Okay. We talked about that. We talked about Rubio last night to the degree it was a debate. Ted Cruz showed you why he is a, one of the prominent trial attorneys of his generation. Anyway, the question is though, you know what? Who cares? I'm for Ted. But I still harbor a fear that he has not made a personal connection. As we discussed yesterday, my old boss, David Garth, said people vote ultimately, especially for president, more with their hearts than they do with their heads, even more with their stomachs than they do you know, with their heads. And he meant that gut feeling, that connection where you just say about someone, I like that guy. I just like that guy. What do you like? I don't know. I just I just like him. You know, I I I I see him as president. I like him. Or man, I don't like that guy. I wouldn't vote for him no matter what. There there is there is that incredibly important dynamic. And say what you will of Trump, he has this connection with his supporters. He has a, a and it's a cult of personality. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's a, in fact, I'm saying it's a bad thing. Cult of personality is a bad thing. It's not why you should be for somebody. But if you're going to enter politics as opposed to government, you know, if Ted Cruz wants to retire to practice law, that's fine. Politics is, again, a completely different animal. And if you want to practice politics, you have to learn what politics are. As Rudy Giuliani said, I needed someone to bash the lawyer off me and turn me into a politician. It's a different game. And I harbor the fear that Ted, in all of his sheer brilliance, may not be engaging the gears of that connection machine with people. And I I, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, and and he is the only person I think that can be Trump, and I for sure hope he will. We're going to know so much this Tuesday. Uh, Kasich helped himself by being Kasich. Kasich is in the wings waiting, you know, for the the party elders to put the lay hands on him in in a, in a brokered as opposed to a contested convention. 
Now, one word about that, and then we'll go. Is Craig still with us? All right. Craig, welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Jay. Good to talk to you again. You too. Uh, While you're here, I want to get something else out. You can comment on it or not. No sweat. And that is, I mentioned this last night, maybe yesterday, the difference between a brokered convention and a contested convention is the difference between, uh, you know, the uh, the beach, uh, you know, in Nantucket and the dark side of the planet, Jupiter. Uh, they're But they're being used synonymously, interchangeably. They're not. And in 20 seconds or less, as I think you know, a contested convention is a natural outcropping of American democracy. No one gets... Someone gets a plurality of votes, but no one gets a majority. So they go to the convention and they try to cut a deal or work it out. And they have 15 ballots till finally somebody on the floor, the delegates, the people can make a deal and support somebody to get 1,237 delegates. That's a that's a contested convention. That is all American. A, A brokered convention is where they ignore all of the delegates and the great big fat white guys in cheap suits go in a back room and come out three days later and announce to you, like Moses with the tablets, they tell you this is how it's going to be. That's a brokered convention. That's un-American. But anyway, anyway, welcome back. What's on your mind? Thanks, Jay. Um, I hope I, I haven't called for a while. I hope I haven't lost my, uh, my field promotion. Uh, no, because I'd like, indeed I'd not. I'd like to make a point of parliamentary uh, procedure if I could. The gentleman from Kingsborough shall be heard. <laughs> there was a question on your show yesterday that really got me thinking, and I love talking about things like that. Somebody called in and they said, is it possible for a president to pardon someone? They were talking about Obama pardoning yes. Hillary. Is it possible yes, for advance. a president to pardon someone before they actually get indicted, before they're charged with a crime? Right. And that was a really great question, and I thought I knew the answer – but I did some digging around, and for anyone who's interested, I actually found out there is a very good for specific— you. Oh, good for you. Let us have it. There is a very specific Supreme Court case from way back in 1866 where they specifically ruled that the president— Do, do you know the pardoned, site? Do you know, do you know this, the citation? Do you know? I sure do. Like, it's called it, Ex Parte Garland. Ex Parte Garland. Okay, thank you. Yes. Because this is where I can look uh, it up. All right. And it says—I'll quote the, the decision— uh, the presidential pardon power extends to every office known to law and may be exercised at any time, either before legal proceedings are taken or during their pendency or after conviction and judgment, end quote. And so what, that another, suggests to me you cannot you cannot pardon before there has been any legal action against somebody. I, I believe that's true, that you can pardon someone before there's any legal action. And actually, it, it goes on to say that... Well, wait, um, to read the conditions again, not the beginning of it. I know it extends to every office known to law, but yep. and then read the conditions under uh, pendency may or... May be exercised at any time, either before legal proceedings are taken or during their pendency. Oh, okay. So I, they can I, exercise I it before they've been charged. Okay. Right. Um, and, and one thing I didn't realize, I guess... Some people were urging President Bush the Younger to do that for some of the um, the intelligence officers back when there was the whole hullabaloo about the um, enhanced interrogation techniques. People were saying to George Bush, you need to, to make sure that these people can't get in trouble later for what they've done. Right. And right. in the end, he didn't. But I just found it a very interesting 
topic that was brought up and a very interesting answer that the president can actually pardon someone before they're even charged with a crime. To what I, I Seb tells me I have to break and I and I'd like to have you back if you want to hold. But to what rank were you promoted most recently? Uh, commander. You are now uh, you are now senior commander with Gold Leaf Cluster. We will be right back where the gentleman from Kingsboro will again be heard. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network, Craig, the gentleman from the Commonwealth, will again hold the floor. Thanks, Jay. Um, so, just as a as a quick recap, my before the break, we sort of had established that uh, presidents can pardon people uh, before they're charged with a crime. And so it would appear. I'll I'll feel better when I have confirmed. You're, you're you're not you're not a member of bench nor bar, I believe. Uh, that's true. Well, until until then, I'm going to run this by. I, I'm lucky to have fabulous connections, so I'm going to run this by like maybe Alan Dershowitz, and then and then uh, and and have him confirm it, or even come on to talk about it, and you'll get the credit if that happens. That would be that would be great. I would love to hear his thoughts on it. Um, but what it Good would for mean, you for, of course, for uh, dogging it down like that. Good for you. So what was most interesting to me about it, re-recent events, is um, the power that it would give Barack Obama over the Democratic side of things in this election. I mean, he already has a great deal of power being the president, but imagine, I mean, he can almost order her to do certain things if he has the ability to ensure she can or cannot get in trouble. That's absolutely right. I mean, that's immense. That's immense power. That is literally the power of life and death because going back to the prospective bush application of this that means you can essentially tell people to assassinate other people and if you get caught or indicted don't worry you get a you're getting a get out of jail free card from the president exactly so that's that's what i wanted to call and mention i appreciate you taking my call again jay i'll uh, i'll try to call back soon Senior Commander Craig, thank you. Uh, really, kudos for that. That's a great job. And um, I just, you know, man, I love this audience. I've always wanted to work for someone smarter than I. And uh, every day, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know if other hosts are envious, uh, but I, I don't mean my colleagues because I think we we share you, you know, in common. But that really impresses me. That is a great job. Uh, one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three, one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. I'm always wanting to repeat the story of the Trump's Tourette's because I just think it's a you know a great line. All of a sudden, in the middle, what's Trump's Tourette's? Well, it's you're in the middle of the of a debate. You're not really quite sure what to say, so you yell out, "Nipple, uh, buttocks, uh, Chinese trade deficit." And uh, last night. His medication was working. The question is, what 
happens on Tuesday. Well, let's lead up to that uh, as we lead up to the break here. Endorsements. The National Review pretty much devoted the online magazine, NRO Online, okay, if you want to look it up, NRO Online. Uh, The National Review, which is the baby of William F. Buckley, it is the single authoritative instrument of American conservatism as it has as it has been defined for 75 years that's an important independent clause there that's almost as important as Santa Claus uh, that means a lot it doesn't mean it defines conservatism but the National Review has operationally defined conservatism for 75 years and today they lavishly endorsed Ted Cruz for president. Now, this morning, Donald Trump succeeded in again his mastery over the media, playing them like a cheap harmonica. And I mean harmonica. They don't deserve being called a harp. They're not a blues harp. They're a harmonica. One you get in the cracker, you used to get in the Cracker Jacks box, a little tiny one. <laughs> and uh, Trump played them like a cheap harmonica, a miniature one, you know, because they have small hands. Uh, and this morning he got endorsed, uh, he received the endorsement of Dr. Ben Carson. That enabled him to grab an hour of all the cable programming, was his, and also the picture and the message of Dr. Carson choosing Donald Trump. That's that's not an automatic endorsement. That is man bites dog. Why did he do it? Next. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. As we speak, protesters are violently, largely and apparently in fairly big number disrupting the Trump rally in St. Louis. More to come here, Excelsior. Radio Network. This is the Jaily News. I'm Jay Severin, editor. one 888 and chief cook and bottle washer. one 888 well, between three and five anyway. one 888 one Trump rally being very widely, it appears from the early reports, disrupted in St. Louis. As you know, that's become a tool of his critics, especially younger critics. I think it's tremendously unfair and therefore absolutely characteristic of the mainstream media to report that protests uh, are somehow unique to Trump. And again, I'm a Cruz guy, but 
they the media has a very queer relationship with Trump. And on the downside for him, you know, is that the media giveth and the media media taketh away. And when they taketh away from Trump, it's when they can't wait to show these they cover these they cover one protester as though it's a million protesters and they insinuate if they don't say outright that this is somehow unique to Trump because he's divisive I know by the way the word is divisive I can't bring myself to use it I believe divisive is a an accepted alternative pronunciation so that's why I say divisive it's you you say what you like of course so they attribute this to Trump, you know, uniquely, that's, that's, that's BS. That's Bernie Sanders. That's not true. And by the way, if someone is capable of changing things and if what they want to change is things as they are, the status quo, then I would hope you're going to provoke the wrath of young, unshaven bums i.e. students, and older unshaven bums. And those are just the women Democrats. I would expect you're going to provoke protests if you're going to change anything, especially if you're a conservative. Well, especially if you're a change agent, because we don't know if Donald Trump has a molecule of conservatism in him. Again, we don't know. I'm not saying he doesn't, but we don't know. We, we, we are not going to permit, uh, in this court, we are not going to permit, uh, we are not going to permit assumption based on facts not yet in evidence. And there is no evidence that Donald Trump's a conservative. There's rather more evidence that he's not, but that's another story. So he's being disrupted. Meanwhile, Dr. Carson endorsed him this morning. That raised a lot of eyebrows. Dr. Carson's endorsement draw, uh, drew widespread condemnation. I mean, pretty animated condemnation from conservatives across the spectrum and, and across the country who called, they were shocked. Dr. Carson is a turncoat. He, he, he traded himself cheaply. I mean, they're harshing on him pretty good. And if you're a conservative... You can understand that. Dr. Carson claimed to be, claims to be a conservative, yet he is rejecting two more conservative candidates than Trump for Trump. And so naturally, as we discussed last night on our special, it always comes back to the same Q&A. Q, what did Dr. Carson want and what did he get? Everyone now... I said at the top of the show today, can't you just feel the tug of of the laws of political gravity here as it draws us into this vortex of Act 3, which begins on the real Super Tuesday, which is this coming Tuesday? And part of it is, like rats off a sinking ship, and I'm not calling anybody a rat, I'm just loosely saying that certain phenomena are associated with certain circumstances and like rats off a sinking ship that's that's a, that's a bad sign if you're on that ship when you see the rats start to you know choose the water over the ship it's it's a tell 
and it's it's a bad one if you happen to be on the ship. Well, I don't know what the other candidates are thinking, but everyone now is trying to cut the best deal they can. I don't know what Dr. Carson wanted, if anything. I don't know what he got, if anything. Soon we shall. Rubio has suggested that anti-Trump voters vote for Kasich in Ohio. Now, he didn't say it wasn't a declarative sentence or an imperative sentence. He didn't say, go vote. If you're against Trump, vote for Kasich in Ohio. But he made the politically equivalent statement. He essentially gave his blessing to anyone who wanted to do that. So it's clear, and it's not shocking or anything, but he's just making it clear that there is a stop Trump movement. I mean, duh, doy, we knew this, right? Well, he just made it a lot more official this morning. Also at the Carson endorsement this morning, and I sure hope, I haven't seen the cut, shame on me, I haven't read through the cut sheet yet, Sebastian, so you may be familiar with it. Do you, do you happen to know whether we have anything from this morning with Trump at the Carson endorsement? Because he, I don't so. okay, all right, well, it was just a, a little too recent for us to, to have, but you'll hear this, I hope, and in it, Donald Trump says, well, the precedent for this is Dr. Carson says, you know, there are two Donald Trumps and one of them is the one that most people don't know. And that's the the thoughtful one that you could sit down and have a real conversation with. And so when Trump got up there, he immediately leapt to Dr. Carson's endorsement of him as an intellectual giant and said, you know, people don't know, you don't notice about me. You don't, but I'm a tinker, and I'm a deep tinker. I, I think deep thoughts. I mean, which reminds me uh, of the song from The Wizard of Oz, If I Only Had a Brain, with the thoughts, I'd be thinking I would be another Lincoln if I only had a brain. Think of me, a PhD. Anyway, uh so Trump declares himself a deep thinker. Uh, Chris Christie redeclares that uh, he is a lover of deep fried food. So come Tuesday, winner take all in Florida and in Ohio. And we're forgetting, you may not be, but generally people have been forgetting North Carolina because North Carolina is living in the shadow of these enormous pots of delegate gold, Florida and, uh, and Ohio. So there were 75 delegates in North Carolina, 72, 75 delegates in North Carolina. So that's a huge deal by itself. So that's just three of the states coming on Tuesday. And I think you know the maths on this. If Donald Trump, and, and Doc and I uh, disagreed on this last night, and I, I assume still disagree, Doc feels firmly that Trump cannot get to 1237 before the convention. Doc believes, I, I sure hope I'm not misquoting him in any way, but uh, so you, you let him know, you tell him if I am. Uh, but But Doc said last night, as I recall, he doesn't believe there's any 
arithmetic for Donald Trump to reach 1237, even if he wins both Florida and Ohio. And this was a point of contention last night because I believe if Trump wins both Florida and Ohio, it doesn't put him there, obviously, but they are winner-take-all states, and it's the arithmetic starts to look bad for everybody else. This is where you get to the point that that I did not allow Rocky to make yesterday, uh, and I, I'm still hoping Rocky's not angry with me. Uh, I just felt it wasn't the moment for it, but... In any case, <clears throat> Rocky's point is the percentages game, that you have to win now so much percentage of all the remaining delegates in order to get to 1237. Well, again, I'll restate my position. If Trump wins Florida and he wins Ohio, I just think the arithmetic, contrary to not working for him, starts to look like it cannot work for anybody else. This is Jay Severin, Severin. on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. And these are my partners, Pete from Illinois. Welcome. Hello. Hey. Hey, how are you? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the debate last night. First time caller here. Um, Ted Cruz all the way. But uh, I just thought that everyone had calmed down because Trump knew that Dr. Ben Carson was going to endorse him. But I'm sure Carson said, hey, dude, I'm not going to endorse you unless you tone it down. Um, if That's you a great point. Out, if you blat out all crazy-like, I'm just going to pull my endorsement. And uh, That's a I great point. Everyone, yeah, I just think that's why everyone was so quiet last night. I wonder how that actually works. I mean, I don't think Carson says that to – I mean, I'm, you know, I'm fascinated, having been in the business, how this stuff actually gets – communicated and i i would imagine that some poor bastard on carson's staff had to call somebody on trump's staff fairly close to trump because he doesn't have a lot of staff he had to call somebody important near you know close to trump and say this which is kind of a unpleasant job because you never know what the response is going to be <laughs> uh, i think trump knows that Cruz can can beat him, so I, I I believe that he was just trying to pull for anything, and, and you know, Cruz is knocking or you know, Carson's knocking on his door, and I don't know what Carson's thinking. Maybe he's going to be a VP. I I I've really changed my mind on Carson. I thought he was a great conservative. For him to endorse Trump, it's like, what are you doing, dude? I don't understand it. You know, uh, so there's something yeah. got to be something in the water that's getting Carson or. Yeah, Dr. Carson, the bite. I don't understand. Certainly, Ben Carson went down in my estimation. I was never for him, but I didn't dislike him. It's very hard to dislike. And certainly, I respect him. You know, as a surgeon, I don't have much respect for him as a politician. And whatever respect he may have earned uh, from a lot of people, I'm guessing, as a politician, evaporated 
because he presented himself as a conservative. That's how he got launched. That was it. That's who he was. He was a black conservative. And that was the essence of his appeal, a uh, unique appeal. And he blew that out the barracks bag this morning when he, you know, passed over two more conservative, arguably three more conservative candidates to pick Trump. So he went with the power, which I guess means he did learn something about politics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like some of the Republican voters had an idea that maybe somewhere there'd be Cruz and Carson as president VP. And now it's, you know, out of the water. And it's just so bitter tasting in your mouth to think that. And, and who's going to be the next person to, to endorse Cruz? Because Figurini, or however you say her name, I, I don't Fiorina. feel that. that carries, <laughs> yeah, Figurina doesn't carry much weight. I mean, I just don't feel like that carried much weight. No, you know, it's it's remarkable how someone at the center of, you know, the, the political coverage and stage, not more so than, say, Trump or Cruz, but Carly Fiorina was five weeks ago at the center of the national news story of America. Okay. And now you say your name and people go, who? I mean, that's how <laughs> that's how quickly it happens. Right. That's how quickly we forget. So yeah, I don't think I don't think that carried a lot of weight. And frankly, way more people obviously saw that endorsement the way I did on TV than were at the rally. Now I don't know what else happened at the rally at the endorsement rally, but man, oh man, when I the the the, the two or three seconds of video that they showed, I never saw a more insubstantial hug and a more insincere hug than the the one that she gave him. She, like, couldn't get near him. She patted him on the back, but looks like she didn't actually want to touch bodies with him or anything. And it that the rhetoric seemed to match. It was like, it just said to me, standoffish, standoffish, standoffish. You know, don't really mean it. Don't really mean it. Like in bright lights flashing. But even if, even absent that, you know, what does it really mean? I mean, this is another thing. I've been in the room. I've the blessing to be in the room when stuff like this is negotiated and the person offering the endorsement always thinks Pete that their endorsement is, you know, is commensurate with their view of themselves and therefore is a very valuable thing indeed. <laughs> and the person to whom it's being offered almost without fail has a far more realistic assessment of the offerers reputation, you know, and value and so you've got Carly Fiorina thinking of the the way she was two months ago. And now the, the Cruz is thinking, yeah, that's great. But now you're, you know, yesterday's fish. I mean, you know, you're yesterday's news. You don't. I mean, what do you what do you think you get for that? I mean, how many votes do you think I get for your endorsement? And in one way or the other, that has to be communicated without offending anybody. Like when people get in the room from the camp, from the campaign so they can actually be brutally candid, you can imagine that the Fiorina person approaches the Cruz person and says, Carly is prepared to endorse Senator Cruz, and what she's thinking is maybe vice president. And and, and then what comes from the other side of the room is is this. Yeah. 
And they say, oh, okay, maybe attorney general. Oh, okay, maybe postmaster general. You know, and, and they keep going down the list until you finally end up with, she's going to have a Budweiser distributorship. Half, she's going to share a Budweiser distributorship, you know, in San right. Diego. So, well, I, really Pete, appreciate I appreciate the yeah. I I'm appreciate sorry. the first time effort, a, a great one. Hope to hear from you again soon. Uh, we have other partners on the phone at one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Again, Doc Thompson has a much uh, stronger sense that this that we are headed to a contested convention. I and and I think it's worth mentioning again the difference. I'm, I won't go back into it, but I mean there is a great difference between a contested convention and a brokered one. I believe if it's either, there's still a very good chance that it's going to be brokered. I, I I listen to as you do, you know, I listen to everybody in the business who's talking about this, and they seem to misunderstand. I mean, just I'm talking about the top 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 most people in the business seem to think that delegates are bound no matter what to a candidate on the first ballot it's true right now but the republican national committee if they're looking at a trump candidacy they can change the rules they could change the rules while the person is out there speaking on the stage they can meet behind stage and three people can change the rules. So that first ballot thing, everyone says, well, anything's up for grabs after the first ballot. Everything's up for grabs when Reince Priebus, Prince, decides he wants to change any rule he wants. Like all of them. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Sebastian and I were discussing a moment ago here at the Blaze Radio Network, offline, uh, off camera, the something I forgot, and so uh, uh, thank you for reminding me, Seb. And that is Heb, not Seb. Heb, Heb. It's a help. Sounds a lot like Heb. Bush. Heb. Heb. Uh, Heb. His people, anyway. I don't know if he still has people, but Heb's person announced on Wednesday, this just past Wednesday, two days ago, that he was going to meet with the candidates except for Trump. (laughs) He was prepared to meet with all candidates other than anyone named Trump. And they didn't say why, but it's it's obvious why. He is joining the line. Uh, and everyone's you're in line or you're not. And if you're not in line, you're not in line. It's like Scrooge with Bill Murray. And if you don't work late, I can't work late. And if I can't work late, I can't work late. You know, if you're not in line, you're not in line. If you're not in line, you don't exist. So everyone's in line to make a deal for themselves. 
It could be an endorsement four years down the road. You know that. Remember these bargains, these deals that are cut by candidates who always overvalue, you know, their own value, always think they should be vice president. The minute you get laughed out of the room for that, then they, you know, then they start talking to you about other more realistic things like dog catcher. But sometimes they don't, they don't want a position. They don't need a position. What they want is they want to run for, I'll give you a typical situation, one with which I've been involved. You've got a guy that wants to trade his endorsement. He wants a deal. He's getting out. He wants a deal. He doesn't want anything now. What he wants, though, is to run for what he knows will be an open Senate seat in four years. And the guy with whom he's discussing this is probably a governor or a former governor who controls the statewide political apparatus and can determine whether or not they will, there will be a primary. In fact, this is probably the most common, more so than getting a position, because there are only so many positions. Most of the smart politicians cut this kind of deal that we're talking about at this moment. And that is, okay, I'll do this, this, and this, and what I wish in return, okay, the quid pro quo is this. In four years, there's going to be a Senate race in this state, or, or it could be governor's race, but it's always one or the other, Senate race, governor's race. And if there's a primary, it's going to be long, hard, dirty, expensive, and I don't want that. I do want the office. I don't want long, dirty, hard, and expensive. So what I want is for you to assure me, and you know they give their word, and that's it. You get to break your word once in politics uh what what i want is to have an uncontested primary i want you to deliver me the nomination you can't you can't make me senator or governor you can't deliver me the election i'm not asking for that what i'm asking is you make sure the field is clear and nobody else primaries me i will be the only candidate of our party so i don't have to run a primary so I only I only have to raise fifty million dollars instead of one hundred fifty million dollars to to win this seat. After that, you're you're on your own. I just want a clear field in the primary. No challengers in the primary. That deal is cut more often probably than any other kind of deal. Now, what does Heb want? Heb, uh, I don't know. Heb probably thinks that his vote is worth the world. It's not, though, you know what? It is probably worth more than it was trading at as a stock two weeks ago, which is $3 a share, you know, three points, maybe $4 if you get a sweetheart deal. So Jeb, of course, strolls in there thinking that he's Microsoft as a stock, that he's Google, and, and he's, he's not. He's like the Atlantic Fish Company. You know, he's trading at three points a share. So he'll go in and ask for the moon, but he'll make this point, I'm sure. My vote is a bigger vote than it was in the Republican primary. Once the general election is on, there are a lot of Democrats and independents, moderate Republicans who love me and love Bush as a brand name. Now, the people voting in the Republican primaries, 
didn't. But, you know, I'll here, I'll hand you a poll. I'll be prepared to prove to you uh, with your pollster. Well, that can be part of the deal. You know, if if my if my endorsement doesn't appear to be worth at least 10 points to you, then, you know, we can call off the deal. So they could try something like that. Otherwise, I don't know if Heb went through with those meetings. And I don't know, uh, except you could pretty much assume that it is either uh, Kasich or maybe Rubio because of the Florida connection they share. And that may be what he wants to do. Heb may want something that Rubio can help him get. So I don't know. I don't know. That'll be that'll be interesting. So I guess the people who have advised Rubio, the advice has been given. Unless he drops out this weekend and nota bene, that is still a possibility. If you're if you were dropping out, you would want suspense and a big audience, right? And Suspense in a big audience. Think of it. If Rubio had dropped out before last night, he wouldn't have been in the debate. If he drops out today, he drops out on a Friday. The lowest, we're about to enter the lowest news attention cycle of every week. Then that's between Friday morning and Sunday morning. So you don't drop then. I mean, that's when you want to get indicted. Or taken into custody because it's the the fewer people will be watching TV. Uh, but it, it, it's something you want people to know. You don't want it to happen between Friday morning and Sunday morning. So if Rubio's going to drop, and a lot of amateurs would tell you there's no chance he's dropping. There never was any chance he's dropping. Then there would be another amateur school of thought that would tell you he's not dropping because he would have dropped already. No, 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 no. If Rubio is going to drop and maximize anything on his end for himself, he could still drop. And what you'd first do is squeeze every drop of political capital, of blood, out of this circumstance that you can for yourself. And then what you do is you drop live on 60 Minutes this Sunday night. If they can't, if 60 Minutes will not promise to make you the lead story, and they would, anybody could make that deal for Rubio. You know, you don't have to be an agent to, or a lawyer to make that deal. 60 Minutes would make him their lead story in an instant, Sunday night. That's how you drop. And, 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 and probably endorse someone else in the process. But you wouldn't have to. Or if he can't get the lead story on 60 Minutes, he could settle for the Sunday morning talk shows. But that's it. One and two in that order. That's the biggest audience that Marco Rubio could possibly get for dropping out of the race. And it's also the latest time he could drop out of the race and still be a factor. So my guess is he probably won't drop. But if he does, don't think because he hasn't, he won't. Uh, I, I again bear in mind that the guys who run the Republican Party can do anything they want, any time they want. So there is only a first ballot loyalty of delegates if they say so up until that moment. Is Daryl still with us? Yes, Daryl from North Carolina. Thank you for your gracious patience. Good, Jay. How I, are I, you? I, Holy I, cow! 
I come I come to you for some of that uh, wisdom of of your immense experience in campaigns <laughs> to well, uh, to ask a question about uh, old money and new money. Mm-hmm. I have seen many polls, and I think the numbers run something like, uh, and this is Hillary versus Trump as the nominee. I have seen something like. Uh, 19 out of 21 polls where Hillary wins the general. Polling has consistently shown that that Hillary tops Trump, bearing in mind two things. It's very early. Yes, it is. It's also fresh off Trump acting like a chimpanzee, you know, Mm -hmm. at the zenith of his chimpanzee-like behavior up on the stage last Thursday night. But most important of all, it is... We don't have a national election, as you know. We have 50 individual state elections, which coincidentally culminate on the same date and have absolutely nothing to do with each other. So if you win by 7 million extra votes in a state next door, you don't get to take one of them and apply it next door to the state where you lost by 10 votes. So it's 50 individual state elections. And it is Trump's very rational promise that he can bring into play states heretofore unreachable or very dodgy for Republicans. Impossible states like New York, dodgy Mm -hmm. states like New Mexico, Colorado, uh, the Rust Belt, Michigan. See, if Bernie Sanders beat Hillary in Michigan, a lot of people in this business, pros in the polling business, think, think that indicates that Trump could beat Hillary in Michigan. Well, this, so the this, the national polls will question, yes. Go go ahead. Yeah, well, you know what? Can you hold cuz I really I really need to break so we don't have to rush you on the other side. Will you hold the question? Certainly. We'll be right back. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you. And we return to Daryl in North Carolina. Thank you. Daryl reminds us that Hillary is topping Trump in most uh, national polls thus far. And Daryl, so your question is? In states like New York, uh, where the Rodham family, and and correct me if I'm wrong, are, are they considered to be old money? They may be where they're from, but they're not from New York. Uh, Hillary grew up in the Midwest. I can't recall okay. which state. So that, that's something I think it I may have been. I, I don't know where. I, I, where, I think it may be. I think it may be Illinois. I think it may have been the Chicago suburbs, but I'm not sure. Someone will will know. I ought to know. But um, it's easy to find out, obviously. No, she is not. The uh, the, the Rodhams were not of New York. They, but they may well have been a, a, a very established, old line, for all I know, family, uh, where she grew up. So I was curious about that because they're, the, the way that they have associated together brings to mind the word frenemy, if you will. Yes. One, one yep. you know, paying someone to come to one's wedding, 
these yeah. these these various and sundry appearances, golfing together, and and, and things like that. And uh, well, I think you I, brought I, up the most fascinating uh, terms, and that is old money versus new money. Uh, uh, that that's a fascinating concept, and it's one that Americans don't talk about much anymore or consider because we're you know kind of consider ourselves to be a virtually classless society ha <laughs> yes that that uh, in, in an ideal world we would we, we would have put that behind us long ago but that still exists and especially in that rarefied stratum of of politics where you have uh, families with old money that are able to if you will if not put up a candidate of their own fund someone else as a kingmaker behind the scenes. Right. And, and, you know, and I would, Rush look, has talked Trump about this. They seem to be, be more of a new money family. Rush has talked about this really very, very brilliantly because he uh, it impresses me the more that Rush grew up in Missouri. I grew up in New York, so I would expect someone to have to be from New York to, to nail it like this. But, you know, it, Donald Trump was born in New York, quote unquote. But to a New Yorker, which to me and some other New Yorkers mean means Manhattan and nothing else. And when we were young and savage, we would we were brutal with people who came from what were called the OBs, the outer boroughs, the B and T crowd, bridge and tunnel. Better better hurry home, Larry, before the bridge closes. You know, uh, they were called GUs, geographic undesirables. Uh, there is an absolute unspoken but absolute stigma appertaining to people who are from who were born in and raised in the outer boroughs as opposed to Manhattanites. If you're talking about old school Protestant blue blood uh, racket club century association university club old line Rockefeller Episcopalian New York City money. Hello. Well, I guess that knocked. I guess that just knocked Daryl right out. But I, Daryl, I appreciate it. I don't know what cut us off. But that's a. If you, if you want, if any of that interests you, and you want to read about it in the most entertaining possible fashion, the most entertaining novel, the most cynical, entertaining, funniest, brilliant novel ever written about contemporary life since Dickens is Bonfires of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe. I beg you to read it. Have a good weekend. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.